This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. Good afternoon. This is Earth Matters on The Bigger Picture. I'm Juliet Jacobs. Current estimates put the global tiger population at around 4,500 individuals, having plummeted from the 100,000 tigers estimated at the start of the 20th century. And they are currently only found in less than 6% of their historical range. The situation doesn't seem to be getting any better, as detailed in the recently released report titled Skin and Bones Tiger Trafficking Analysis from January 2000 to June 2022, which points to no let up in tiger trafficking in the last couple of decades. So this new study by Traffic revealed that authorities worldwide have seized tigers and parts equal to an average of 150 tigers a year over almost 23 years, with seizures in the first half of this year signalling the relentless pursuit of remaining wild tigers. Joining me now is Kanita Krishnasamy. She's a co-author of the report and she's the director for traffic in Southeast Asia. She's going to shed more light on the findings of this study and also the issues you know, that um, affect tigers, so the illegal trade of tigers, poaching, tiger parts and all of that. Welcome Kanita, how are you today? Hi, Juliet. I'm good. How are you doing? I'm very well. Thank you so much for joining me today. So, a huge, robust report that you guys have just released uh, just last week, right? Um, The title is Skin and Bones, Tiger Trafficking Analysis, as I mentioned, from January 2000 to June 2022. Tell me a little bit about this. Okay, so this is uh, an analysis of uh, tiger trafficking data, largely based on seizures. Law enforcement agencies across the world confiscate wildlife parts um, and products that are entering into illegal trade. So this is essentially an assessment of that data. Mm-hmm. We've been doing this since 2013 to coincide with the International Convention, uh, the UN Convention on International Trade in Endangered Species. So we've been doing this since uh, 2013. This is our fifth assessment of this um, this trafficking. So we've analyzed information of tiger trafficking from 2000 all the way to June of this year. And what it shows is that uh, a staggering minimum of 3,377 tigers have entered into illegal trade during this time. Mm. Okay. All right. So that's, yeah, to put it mildly, that's not good at all, isn't it? And uh, what are some of the key findings that you think, you know, we really should know about, especially, I guess, you know, with regard to uh, Malaysia and our Malayan tigers? In a way, I guess the the main takeaway message is that there's no good news. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, a significant thousands and thousands of tigers getting into um, the illegal trade chain is not a good sign for them. Tigers currently only exist, um, at least breeding wild tiger populations exist in eight countries in Asia. So we're looking at a very small number of countries to hold the entire global population of tigers in the wild today. Mm -hmm. Now, if they consistently are targeted for poaching and trade, um, the tigers don't have a very good chance of uh, surviving long into the future. Um, a data shows that uh, India has consistently seized, uh, the Indian government has made the highest number of confiscations. And that's not surprising because India holds the, the record for the highest number of wild tigers. Um, but outside of India, uh, pretty much all of the other range countries in Asia have also made confiscations of tiger parts and products. Okay. All right. So again, not not looking good, lah. Huh? What does this mean for the tigers? I guess you know. I mean, is it just yeah? Is there is there hope? I suppose. I think we have to absolutely believe that there is hope. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, we should, you know, probably I'll just pack up and go home. <laughs> um, 
and you know there's there's a lot of interest in wanting to do better um a lot of governments are putting in the effort they are um you know improving the capacity to to investigate to do law enforcement um there's a lot of effort to try and reduce demand because ultimately that is really one of the primary reasons why we're still dealing with this problem <laughs> but, but we're talking about the tiger um, that is targeted in the forest, in the wild. Yeah. Uh, so we're looking at essentially bringing down the criminal organizations that are behind um, this this problem. Okay. Um, and I think that there is there is enough interest and commitment um, from a global from the global community to want to do better to try and address this problem. Um, but we need that to to improve. And we need that to improve significantly. We need that to improve immediately because the tigers don't have a lot of time left. Mm-hmm. Especially here in Malaysia, right? I mean, what, less than 150? That's the, the current estimate, am I right? Yeah, yeah it's less than 150. Um, and it is a, a major concern for Malaysia. And in 2019, um, the government established the Operasi Bersepadu Kazana. Right. Now, this is a joint enforcement uh, task force targeted at uh, addressing wildlife crime, jointly headed by the Royal Malaysian Police, the Pohilitan, uh, the Wildlife Department for Peninsula Malaysia, as well as uh, Royal Malaysian Customs. And this, this body is um, has been absolutely crucial in the fight against wildlife crime. Um, it has placed the, the agenda of, of fighting wildlife crime um, high up uh, within the national agenda. And many um, law enforcement successes have been achieved. Now, for Malaysia, I think we see this as really one of the important steps towards um, ending wildlife crime, towards addressing wildlife crime, including to protect the tiger. Part of this process also includes the establishment of a wildlife crime bureau or a wildlife crime unit mm-hmm. led by the police. And I think we see, we at least from the NGO community, we certainly see this as uh, potentially being a, a big game changer. Um, because what this means is that the effort to address wildlife crime is dealt with in a in a very very professionalized manner, we have you know not just one or two agencies coming together, but we've got these three sort of big guns um, coming together. In addition, uh, it's not just these three agencies; it's a number of other law enforcement um, agencies coming together collectively to address this problem. And I think we really have to put it to test because Malayan tigers don't have um, a lot of time left yeah. um, within Southeast Asia. Malaysia and Indonesia are highly targeted. So if you look at the, the analysis that we've just produced, um, of course, it's, it's looking at almost 23 years. Um, apart from you know what we've just talked about with Malaysia, Indonesia is also severely targeted. Um, and Indonesia, at least in the first six months of this year, has confiscated more tigers just since the first, first six months of, of 2022. More tigers seized compared to all of 2021. Oh, wow. Okay. So it really gives you the idea that, you know, this is not a problem that's going to go away anytime soon. Um, People are getting, you know, I don't know if it's fair to say people are getting bolder, but they remain bold. You know, there's no fear that, um, that 
you know, their operations uh, are going to be stopped mm-hmm. anytime soon. So we, which means that we we have to up the game. We have to commit to doing better. We have to investigate. We have to identify these individuals. And it's not about, you know, being complacent about um, a success. Of course, a seizure and a success uh, with arresting a number of individuals is great. But very often, the people that are arrested are not actually the people behind these entire syndicates. Yeah. That's yeah. what has that that is what needs to be prioritized. Yeah. Maybe, you know, for someone who's unfamiliar, you can explain how these syndicates work. I mean, basically it's organized crime, right? Am I I don't know if I'm overreacting by saying that, but it is uh, it's a huge network. It's uh, you know, up there with narcotics, isn't it? Um the well, that's the illegal trade of wildlife in general. And I'm I'm you know putting that for tigers as well. How does it work? You know, what do we you know, how large are they? Yeah, those sorts of things. So you're absolutely right. They, these are syndicates because you know, we're, we're talking about a group of people organizing themselves um, to source a tiger, to transport the tiger. Um, and sure, sometimes you find whole tigers, but very often you find tiger parts. And it takes effort to bring that, you know, entire majestic tiger down to its part, to yep. its, you know, its skins, its bones, its claws, its um, teeth. So it's not simple. It's not easy. It takes a lot of people. And these are criminal organizations that are operating across international borders. We've seen a lot of cases um, where tiger parts, whole animals, in fact, are moving across international borders. Malaysia has seen some of these examples as well, moving across the Thai and uh, Peninsula Malaysia border. Um, And so it could be you know, hundreds of people involved along the entire trade chain from the point of the source of the tiger in the forest. It could be Malaysia, it could be Indonesia, it could be really any one of the tiger range states, all the way to moving the tiger parts and products into the consumer market. Okay, all right. Um, let's just go for a quick break, Anita. When we come back, uh, let's talk a little bit about, you know, the I guess the psyche behind people buying these rare animal products, you know, uh, why people are still doing this, you know, even though they know the tiger populations are in, in a dire situation. I'm speaking today to Kanita Krishnasamy. She's the director of Traffic in Southeast Asia. She's also co-author of the recently released report, Skin and Bones, Tiger Trafficking Analysis from January 2000 to June 2022. We'll have more after this quick break. Keep it right here on Earth Matters on The Bigger Picture, BFM 89.9. Welcome back. This is Earth Matters on The Bigger Picture. I'm Juliet Jacobs. Joining me on the line today, Kanita Krishnasamy. She's the Director of Traffic in Southeast Asia. She's co-author of a report by Traffic, which is titled Skin and Bones, Tiger Trafficking Analysis from January 2000 to June 2022. Uh, The situation doesn't seem to be getting any better because as the report tells us, um, there's been no let up in tiger trafficking in the last couple of decades or so. uh, And that, you know, uh, this new study has also revealed that authorities worldwide have seized tiger and parts equal to an average of 150 tigers a year over almost these 23 years. As you were explaining before the break, numbers aren't looking good. It's not looking good. Um, And also, as you said, uh, the syndicates don't seem to be afraid. uh, So it's up to us, isn't it, to sort of ramp up our, uh, you know, to to stop this, right? Um, You know, you were talking a little bit about how the the syndicates work, isn't it? Um, Can you talk to me a little bit about why there is such a demand for these products? Where is it coming from? So I guess the the demand has existed for a really long time. I mean, the 
the title of the report is Skin and Bones. And what that means is that um, of all of the different types of parts and products of the tigers that have been confiscated, skin and bones dominated um, the confiscations. Okay. Now, skins are used, um, I guess, for decorative purposes. Um, they are used as trophy. Um, bones, on the other hand, are highly popular in the traditional medicine um, for its traditional medicinal purposes. Um, you see tiger bone wine being sold um, across Asia. And so it, these uh, these uses are quite prevalent across across Asia. I think it's not just across Asia. In fact, you, you do find, find um, you know, tigers and other, a whole range of different wildlife parts and products being used for its medicinal purposes across the entire world. Mm-hmm. Um, the teeth, uh, claws, whiskers. I mean, every part of the, the tiger is used. Uh, people people go after them. So it's, it's not something that has um, existed or evolved in recent times. This has existed for a really, really long time. Um, and, you know, I guess the, the reason for that is, is a little bit varied. Um, to some extent, the traditional uses is cultural. Um, but in some cases, it's it's not just cultural, right? We've seen how you know people want stuff because it's it's the fad, it's the new thing, and so when there's a lot of of these products flooding the market, it does encourage demand. It does encourage uh, consumers to go out there and purchase. So controlling the market existence is also extremely important in trying to tackle this problem. Mm-hmm. And the supply, right? I mean, you were talking a little bit about it earlier. I mean, obviously it comes from poaching and everything, but um, talk to me a little bit about, um, you know, those uh, animals that are kept in captivity, how the, those sort of, uh, those tigers actually help contribute to this, uh, to the numbers as well. Yeah, so this is a really important um, discussion and it's highly debated internationally, of course, because it's it's complicated. Um, you know, zoos and captive facilities, they, they exist uh, for a reason, for a variety of reasons. Um, zoos, of course, I mean, we all grew up, you know, as we were kids, you know, one of the first things our parents, you know, exposed us to were animals in the zoos. They they hold that that value that cannot be taken away. So it's a great educational value. But for some species like tigers, um, it's not just zoos. Their their use is, um, I guess, it's used for various reasons. You have these um, captive facilities that hold tigers, um, specifically tigers and perhaps one or two other species. And it it raises the question about the, the legitimate reason for their existence. Mm. Um, especially if they're called farms. I mean, farms, by by definition, they have to be financially viable. It's not cheap to keep hundreds and hundreds of animals, and especially one like tigers, feeding them is not cheap. Um, of course, they they can breed quite well. They are ultimately they are cats. Um, they will they can survive. They can breed well, but the care of of the facilities um, of the animal is not cheap, and there has to be some commercial gains. Um, in order for it to be financially viable. So there's always this question about what is the exact motive of these facilities, you know? Mm. Um, And we've seen from from law enforcement actions that very clearly some of these animals from these facilities have entered into the illegal trade chain. People who are, you know, either operating or involved in these facilities, the tigers from these facilities are leaking into the illegal trade chain. 
Um, sometimes it's not just these sort of formal facilities. Um, you have these um, illegal operations going on as well. I don't know if, if you've heard, if you read the news last year, in, um, I think it was around August in Vietnam last year. Um, the Vietnamese police, they went into one home and um, based on a tip-off, of course, they found 14 tigers being kept in the basement of a house. Oh, my goodness. I mean, who, who keeps tigers in the basement of their house, right? There has to be a completely different reason for um, having such such a, a, a you know, these, these cages were built. They were purpose-made to hold these tigers. Uh, it, and it was not just this one house. It was another house that also had um, more tigers. I think it was three more tigers. So between these two houses, they had 17 tigers being held in the basement of their homes. Um, now, Vietnam has a handful of tigers, if at all. Um, and they reported that they got the tigers from Laos. Again, mm -hmm. another country where the tiger is functionally extinct. So you've got these two countries that don't really have any tigers in the wild. They do have uh, a number, a good number of tigers being kept in captive facilities. So the question was, you know, where did these tigers originate from? Did they come from these facilities within these two countries or any one of the neighboring countries or in fact any other country that holds these captive tigers? Or were they taken from the wild? Either option, it's illegal, right? right? So it's not safeguarding the tiger in the wild. Neither is it giving the world any assurance that tiger farms and, and these facilities have a legitimate place um, to stay. Because if, if tigers from these facilities are entering into the illegal trade chain, what assurance does it give anybody that they are going to stop um, the, the illegal trade and trafficking of tigers. Mm -hmm. Okay, so this comes down to enforcement, would you say, or sort of the laws and policies in, in all the different countries? I suppose that's also a problem, right? Each country has a different set of laws. There's no sort of cohesive one, uh, you know, for all these different uh, countries, maybe the ones with uh, tiger range countries and things like that. Is there such a thing that exists? I think, as you said, Juliet, I think it, it does fundamentally come down to, to law enforcement, Um and because we know that this is not a new problem, and we've in this particular report we've we've documented, we've assessed this information over a twenty-three year period. But if you go back and and look, it, go, it spans decades and decades um, beyond. So this is not a new problem. Neither is it a problem that's going to go away anytime soon. I think the evidence is very clear, unless there is. Um, you know, we, we up the game in a, in a very serious way to do law enforcement, to investigate, to bring down these operations, these criminal operations that have been in existence for a really, really long time. The tiger has a very poor chance of survival into the long term. Um, in Malaysia, I mean, a, a number of countries are, are losing tigers um, at a very, very fast pace. Um and beyond beyond the law enforcement um, prioritization, the demand angle is also quite important. Um, mm -hmm. It's it's the demand and the consumption angle. Now, I think that is um, a little bit more complicated and harder, especially if you know. I mean, the the reasons and the motivations. People are complicated. People are weird, right? There, 
I mean, everybody knows. Mildly. Yeah, I mean, everybody knows drinking and driving is wrong, right? It hasn't stopped anybody. Everybody knows drug trafficking is wrong in Malaysia. You've got the death penalty. You know, everybody knows what the repercussions are, but that doesn't doesn't necessarily um, stop them from doing that. So that's why that law enforcement prioritization is absolutely important. If we can show that there is enough effort and there is enough um, evidence to show that we are prioritizing. You know, if if 100 people are arrested um, for tiger trafficking uh, or, or illegal trade in tigers, all 100 are prosecuted. Um, there's a very strong conviction outcome. It does send the message that these countries are taking it seriously. Um, we hope that at, at some level that poses a deterrent factor um, but unless we we have enough to show for it, I think you know there's always going to be this question of are we doing enough? I think we can safely say that probably you know we're not doing our best. I mean, with the limited resources that we have right now, we are doing what we're doing. Um, but can we do more? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And it has to be a uh, a more concerted sort of like collaborative one as well. Would I be right in saying that? Absolutely. I mean, in the case that I just talked about earlier um, in Vietnam, and mm. they said the, the tigers were sourced from Laos. I mean, that's just one example, right? Um, obviously, it's it's a cross-border issue. Um, I mentioned earlier also, uh, Malaysian Thai authorities have made confiscations where things are crossing crossing the borders. Um, here, right here in Malaysia, we've had a lot of arrests involving foreign nationals, Um you know, up to 20, 30 people in the forest, poaching gangs um, who stay in the forest for a really long time. Um, the authorities who've arrested them, arrest them with, you know, bags and bags of rice and provisions. So clearly they've been in the forest for a really long time yeah. or had been to be in the forest for a really long time. So we're talking about a, a multinational, a global and international problem. Um, and I think no country can solve this on its own. We absolutely have to work together um, regional collaboration is absolutely important. Um, and I think if, if you know, countries come together and put their heads together and, and look at this um, collectively, uh, I, I think it, it could be a very, very, you, we could see some really strong outcomes. We can see some really strong um, uh, support for, for prioritizing tiger conservation. Um, and I think there's a lot more that can be done in that regard. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you've, you've mentioned some of the... So, definitely collaboration is definitely one of the, the ways to go, right? And and, and more enforcement. Um, what are some other recommendations, uh, maybe from the study perhaps, you know, that you guys have outlined that we, you know, to help stop this this issue? Okay. Um, I mean, I've talked about law enforcement quite a bit. Yes. So I think that, that message is quite clear. That one has come through, yes, uh, loud and clear. Yes. Excellent. Um, and as well as demand. Um, now, online trade, the other aspect that we we sort of profiled a little bit in the report is, is online trade. Now, this, again, it's not a new problem. Um, it exists across the entire world. Um, and I think this this online problem is, is a bit of a pesky issue, right? It's, it's there. It's constant. It's all over the place. And it's extremely difficult to police, but it's so important because I think... You know, as long as it's open and it's available, it encourages people to buy and sell. And I think this uh, issue really needs to be to to be looked at in a in a pretty serious manner. And I think 
it's not just about law enforcement agencies because a lot of these online platforms are commercial entities. Yeah. So there needs to be that collaboration between law enforcement agencies and the commercial entities that are um, allowing these parts, not allowing these parts, but you know, these parts are being sold on their platforms. Um, so do they have a role to play as well? Absolutely, because ultimately they have control over their platforms. Um, so I, I think the online trade issue also needs to be addressed. And, and I mean, there's a lot that's happened um, since 2020 because of, because of COVID, right? Um, you know, there was this impression that um, hunting went down or trade went down or trafficking went down. I mean, if you look at our data, it, it shows um, quite the opposite, in especially in some countries. Um, you know, the law, the the number of confiscations and arrests had gone up. But equally, um, we are, because of all of the restrictions from COVID, people moved their operations online. Right. Now, is this online trade a boom because of COVID? I don't think so. I think in some cases, things have increased online simply because of, you know, all of the restrictions that we ourselves had to deal with, um, especially in the height of 2020. Mm. Um, but what that means is, you know, when, when you set yourself up to move to an online operation for a really long time, you've built that market, you've built that base. Um, and if people are comfortable to operate on that basis, um, then that will continue for a long time. So I think we we have to um, keep monitoring what's going on online. Um, we have to come together and address these issues in terms of, um, you know, law enforcement, also looking at it from an online trade and trafficking perspective. Mm-hmm. You know, and just for anyone who's listening, right, Kanita, I mean, if you can just uh, share some concluding messages, what do you want people to know? I mean, you know, there are these reports, you know, we read, the, we read the news articles based on the reports, but, you know, I don't know whether things seem to be sinking in. What would you, you know, as somebody who has worked on this for so long, what would you like, like just a regular Malaysian to know about this, you know, why this is significant and perhaps the role that they play in stopping this from continuing? Mm. This is a really good question, Juliet. I, I guess the... The main thing is to to know about these issues, to understand why they are important. And, you know, sometimes you hear these things, even, you know, listeners on the radio right now, they they may hear this and it may not um, immediately resonate what that means. But, you know, sometimes at the odd at the oddest moments, it could. So, for example, if, you know, you're traveling abroad and you, you see these products available, in the marketplace, you know, you see a tiger tooth or a, a claw or a product, you know, we're hoping that that message um, will resonate then and that it prevents them from, from you know, making a purchase, from encouraging this, this trade to flourish. Um, so that's, of course, from, from the consumption and the trade perspective. But I think, um, you know, the importance that people place on this um, is is also reflected in the importance a country places in addressing an issue like this. So the more we talk about these issues, I think they do become topical. You know, our decision makers, our politicians have to have to listen. Uh, I mean, everybody's talking about it's elections time, in, yeah. you know, and we, we always, you know, want to see change. Um, we want to see improvements. And I think, you know, Malaysia, especially the tiger is such an icon to us. It's it's on our emblem. I mean, it's 
you know, Harima Malaya, it's Maybank, it's everything. It means everything to us as a country. Um, so I, I think, you know, there's this great hope that the symbol, what it symbolizes to Malaysia can actually translate to saving these, these tigers, to making sure that the tigers don't get wiped out in the future um, because they really don't have, um, a, they don't stand a great chance right now simply because the the threats from a poaching and trade is, is very, very severe. Mm-hmm. So I think it's going to be a real test for us to see if we can, if Malaysia can save the tigers. Um, and it's, I mean, it's not just Malaysia, right? All the tiger range states are grappling with this same uh, with the same problem. Yeah, and you know, aside from I guess poaching and the legal uh, trade of of tigers, you know, protecting their habitat, right? I mean, that's an issue here in Malaysia as well. Uh, ensuring the connectivity of their habitats, you know, wildlife corridors, things like that. I mean, those are also things. I mean, you mentioned elections; those are also things that our our um, decision makers need to consider, isn't it? When they are, yeah, when they are degazetting forests, for example, or when they're yeah making all those sorts of plans. Absolutely. I mean, they're all connected. Every single one of these issues are connected. Um, I mean, the tiger lives in the forest. Um, some of them are protected forests. Some of them are not protected forests. Um, and the tiger, you know, it's it's moving. It knows no legal boundaries. Yes. It's moving across different areas, across different states. Um, and when land um, management is not the way that it should be, it causes a significant problem. When you open up lands, what that means is that it opens up access for poachers into the forest as well. Yep. Um, so if these access, these, these locations are not safeguarded, they're not protected from illegal entry and encroachment, it's not a good sign. It's not a good sign for the protection of the habitat. Um, and it's not just the tigers that we're talking about, because in a lot of the the, the arrests that authorities have made, it's not just tigers. You have people going after tiger prey as well. And that is another important discussion. I mean, perhaps a discussion for another day, but the tiger has no food. Um, you know, it's going to affect its survival as well. Yeah. So we have we have this issue about habitat integrity which is absolutely important. The tiger needs its habitat. The tiger needs its food. So the land management issue and the wildlife management issue absolutely has to go hand in hand. All right. Um, and I guess, you know, Kanita, you've, you've, this, this, this report, you know, it's huge, right? 23 years of uh, information and data there. Uh, what do you hope, uh, you know, authorities or, you know, anyone who's reading it will take away from it? Uh, yeah, what are, what are some of your uh, hopes for it, I suppose? Um, we really hope that, so in, in two weeks' time, the, the CITES meeting takes place. So it's the International Convention on um, the Trade in Animals. Um, and at that meeting, the world will make important decisions about what we do next. Um, tigers are going to be in the agenda. So we really hope that this report will provide the, the justification and the information needed to come up with specific and time-bound actions that governments can take, that the world collectively can take. Um, and the other thing to keep in mind is that, you know, we've assessed all of this information based on what we know, um, you know, based on law enforcement information that was available and accessible to us. But it doesn't consider all of the other incidences that were not detected, because ultimately we're talking about a crime, right? Um, there's a lot that goes undetected. Um, we don't know how much more that is. 
the, the figures that we've presented in the report also doesn't take into account what is currently openly available in the markets in terms of the actual tiger parts and the products that are available for sale. So this is, as we've said in the report, it's the absolute bare minimum estimation. And so the reality is that we've very likely lost a lot more tigers. And so that message really is very, very important for people to keep in mind that this is the absolute minimum. Um, we've likely lost a lot more tigers and the tigers really don't have a lot of time left. We absolutely have to do everything we can right now. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Kanita, for joining me today. And I guess, you know, if anyone's interested to read that report, it's available on uh, Traffic's website, yeah? Yes, absolutely. Okay, all right. Well, thank you so much, Kanita, again for joining me today. I've been speaking to Kanita Krishnasamy, the Director of Traffic in Southeast Asia, co-author of the report titled Skin and Bones, Tiger Trafficking Analysis from January 2000 to June 2022. Just head to traffic.org if you'd like to find out more about both traffic and also if you'd like to read that report. And if you miss any part of our conversation today, just download the podcast at bfm.my earth or you can find it on the BFM app. This has been Earth Matters on The Bigger Picture, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.